When my father-in-law came to live with me five years ago, I was overwhelmed by all the important decisions I had to help him make, especially the one about choosing the right Medicare plan. They got more than 100 plans alone in Minnesota, so how was I supposed to know which one was right for him? Thank goodness for the senior linkage line. It's a free statewide service of the Minnesota Board on Aging in partnership with Trellis and the other area agencies on aging. They connect us to services and supports to help us find the answers we need. And honey, it's free. Did y'all hear me? Free help getting the best Medicare plan for you and your loved ones. The folks at the Senior Linkage Line, let me tell y'all something about them. They really care. They will work with you to figure out if your medications are covered. That way you know ahead of time what you're going to pay out of pocket. So do like I did. Give them a call at 800-333-2433 or log on to trellisconnects.org. And y'all best hurry up because time is running out to change your Medicare plan. You got until Tuesday, December 7th to find one that's right for you. So don't wait. Call the Senior Linkage Line today at 800-333-2433 or log on to trellisconnects.org. Let them help you like they helped me. You'll be glad you did. Want your boss to put some real action behind the rhetoric when they talk about making your workplace more inclusive? Find out how to hold their feet to the fire to demand diversity on the Diversity Dude Podcast. I don't know if you have been as disturbed as I have by the story that came out this week. Sunisa Lee, Olympic gold medalist, represented our country and our beloved Minnesota, where we're based, on the biggest level and the highest stage. It's just, it's hard for me to think about it. It's hard for me to even talk about it. That this young woman, Olympic gold medalist, went over to Tokyo, brought home gold for her country, stepped in um, when the presumptive gold medalist um, decided that she uh, did not want to participate because she had the twisties and killed it and was amazing. And her family story, the sacrifices that her father made, her mother made, her community made to get her where she is today. Um, first Hmong American to do what she did. Um, and then she was selected for Dancing with the Stars. Uh, Sunisa Lee goes out to Los Angeles uh, to tape the show, and she is a victim of Asian hate crime. Um, something that nobody's child, no adult even, should have to experience. Hate based on the color of your skin. You know, this is the Diversity Dude podcast where we talk about issues like this. Um, and you all know Reg Clark signed off the show a couple of weeks ago, and we've been having a series of very capable guests rotating in and out to chat with me um, about some of the issues related to diversity and inclusion. And I was so delighted to find Tom Burnett, uh, CEO of the Seminole Group. He helps cities and counties and states and, and a lot of companies uh, Think about diversity, think about inclusion, um, and make sure 
um, that the workplaces and the environments that they are creating uh, give people a sense of belonging. Tom, thank you so much for being on the Diversity Do podcast. It's great to have you. Shaletta, thanks for having me today to talk about such an important topic. You know, it, I, I wish we were talking about something else. But, you know, what we do here on this platform and on this podcast is we have these crucial conversations. They are tough. Um, but we like to say change begins with a conversation and that conversation starts here. You know, I, I was looking at the history of these hate crimes and, and what happened to Sinisa Lee is just unimaginable. You are not bothering anybody. You are walking down the street. You are minding your own business. But because you are uh, an Asian person or LGBTQ or a Muslim or African-American, somebody from the majority population decides that they are going to make you pay for breathing air and being in their space and just being who you are. Tom, I, I just, this bothered me so much because this young woman had not done anything to anybody and surely did not deserve this. No, and, and you hit on a couple of things. Is it unfortunately, this is the most recent incident over the past year and a half, especially of Asian hate. And that over the past year and a half, you know, the former administration calling COVID the China flu, you know, giving credence to a lot of ignorance and different beliefs that the, the situation that you just mentioned that went on with SUNY occurred. You know, unfortunately, a few months prior to that in New York City, I think everyone probably remembers the elderly woman in New York who was basically beaten right in front of some doormen who did nothing. And so it's one of those things that to your point is unfortunately we continue to see and hear about these things. And so our call to action and, and you and I have talked, you know, off camera, but part of our conversations is not only to inform, but give people a call to action because that call to action, if we see something, say something or get the appropriate people involved. Because the last thing I'll say before turning it back to you is unfortunately this country also, when you mentioned you know, the sacrifices and what she did on the Olympic front, is that again, unfortunately this country, you know, a lot of people knew this person as Cassius Clay in 1960. But in 1960, a guy by the name of Muhammad Ali, Cassius Clay at the time, came back from winning gold to a segregated Kentucky mm. and couldn't get a meal. And so we're speaking specifically around Asian hate today and how it's impacted an Olympic you know, hero. But it's one of those things that we've had a sordid past that we really need to deal with in these conversations, but more importantly, the actions that we take or what we talk about and what we're gonna implore people to do. How is it that you just gave us the history lesson in 90 seconds and we're having a conversation today that they had about Cassius Clay back then and nothing in all these years have changed. How is that possible, Tom, when we've got DEI people out the wazoo, you're working with everybody. People are calling you all across the country to come in and fix the problems that they're having in their city government, in their state, in their corporations. But the same thing that happened to Sinisa Lee happened to Muhammad Ali. Right. Yeah. And, and, and to your point, the sordid history that we have to continue to talk about is the recognition of that history. And so we're speci we're talking specifically around Asian hate today. But again, and looking back at our American history, if we go back to World War II, 
the internment of Asians after the surprise attack of Pearl Harbor, is it if we don't learn from that history and being able to understand what ignorance can do to this one United States, you get the repeat offenses that we're talking about today. So you fast forward from the 40s to 1960 to 2021. If we don't insert and if we don't have a change of heart, we're doomed to repeat. And that's what we find ourselves in is we're chasing ourselves because to your earlier comments also is it it's history but all have to be inclusive and in knowing and understanding and wanting to do better from that history and so that's kind of where we find ourselves again chasing our tails but that's why we're here and we want to inform and we want to give people what they need to, to help make the change so we're not having this conversation in five years from now how can we fix it I don't want Sunisa Lee walking down the street in LA and experiencing a hate crime. I don't want my boys to be afraid to walk to Subway to get them a sandwich because somebody might profile them. You know, we always want to talk about a post-racial society and I'm more afraid now than ever um, for my kids to go anywhere because these people are doing these things and it seems like they don't have a conscience about it and nobody's being held accountable. So how do we is there a way to stop it? I, I think one of the things in your open, opening comment and just speaking about what happened specifically to her, but then also with other m minority groups, is that that's key. One of the challenges I'm going to put forth today to everybody is look at ourselves, especially if you're a person of color, that we are no longer minority. We are an emerging majority. And in the next 10 years, the emerging majority of BIPOC, which is black indigenous people of color, will be the majority Americans in this country. So said again, in the next 10 years, the emerging majority will be the most populous Americans out there. And so what does that mean? That means that we all collectively, their strength in numbers. So people of color, because we used Sunni, we talked about Muhammad Ali. That would be Asian and the black cultures. Is that we all have to look at this as a singular event to kind of form a unified front and not be pitted against each other. One, that's for our, our brothers and sisters, people of color. But for our white compadres, is it it's one of those things back to what you mentioned about the history. Is it? Yeah, we're having the conversation. But the conversation for our white compadres needs to be one of listening and being very intentional to not only listen, but be empathetic. Because at this point in time, you know, our, our, our life experiences are our own. But don't assume that just because something doesn't happen to you, that it didn't happen. And I think that's the key to answer your questions. Now, it sounds easier, but that's what we've got to do. Yeah. And, you know, I experienced that this week. I was online um, and there was a little black girl here in Minnesota at a prior Lake high school. Uh, there was some video uh, online. Um, she was called uh, all kinds of racial epithets. It was very derogatory. And, you know, it, it triggered uh, an incident for me where my son was playing at a playground and we were getting out the car. His therapists were there it, it, and, you know, three of my four kids have autism. So it was not just an opportunity to play, but the therapists were there to teach him how to engage with other kids. 
right? So he would not have so much social anxiety. So they were giving him the words to say, and they were kind of helping him with his play and what to say and how to respond if another child um, came over and asked him to do something. And so he gets out the car, they identify a little boy playing by himself, right? And so um, my son says, hey, buddy, you want to play? And the little boy said, there's niggers, right? These are little kids, seven, eight Mm -hmm. years old. So mm-hmm. the mom was mortified, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, she's, you know, mortified. Um, mm-hmm. And the therapists mm-hmm. have never seen anything like this because mm-hmm. we're probably some of the first African-American clients, so. right? So, and and my son has never been called that word before. We don't use that word. So he thought the little boy was saying diggers. So mm-hmm. my son mm-hmm. runs over to the sandbox because he thinks his new friend is coming with him because the diggers are at the sandbox. So my child is wondering why everybody's petrified and stationary and not moving because he heard diggers, but mm-hmm. we heard what the little boy really said. So right. I'm typing this up on social media and I took a picture that I had from my son from the playground and said, this is what happened to me. This is my experience. The first thing that white people were saying was, I don't believe it. It didn't happen. This doesn't even sound real because it's not their lived experience. I said, well, you know what? You don't have to take my word for it. Why don't you call the Lovas Institute and talk to the two therapists who were there? It's in their clinical notes. It happened about two years ago. And there's no way you can go back two years in doctor's notes. So I guess if two white women tell you that it happened, you'll believe them. But the African-American mother who experienced it and was mortified and Mm -hmm. had teach not only her son, but the therapist a lesson about racism that day at the park, my word is not good enough. So when you start talking about listening and understanding and hearing what uh, people of color are saying to the white community, I want you to expound on that because it's so important not to be judgmental because these are our experiences and nobody wants to lie about racism, especially when we talk about something that our children have experienced. Yeah, that is so unfortunate that You've got that testimony. And I'm sure that if you talk to any person of color, unfortunately, we've had a few of those in our lives. Mm -hmm. But I think, as you just mentioned, it's it's really important in having the conversations and and having people that don't look like us understand that as we sit here today, there are very two different Americas. When you think about economics, when you think about health care, when you think about public schools, policing the judicial system. Those life experiences that you and I experience are very different from those that don't have melanin in their skin. And so being able to have the conversations, but more importantly, as I mentioned, there has to be at this point in time, very intentional listening. And that listening then has to have actions and accountability held to it. And I think back to your earlier comment as to why do these things continue to happen? It's because there's no accountability and there hasn't been that intentional listening. And so that's one of those things that as, as, we, as, as we continue to have this conversation is that there's learnings that need to be had by all, but those that are today in the majority, don't forget this emerging majority and the importance of BIPOC or black, you know, indigenous people of color. And so in order for us, although we have a live to, to Americas today, we're striving to have one. But that has to be where there has to be that intentional listening and accountability. 
Well, Tom, I can't thank you enough for being on the Diversity Do podcast. Please forgive me if I'm being too forward. I have been filling in since Reg Clark has left. We are in search of a new diversity dude. Until we find somebody, would you please do us the honor at ShalettaMakesMeLaugh.com of filling in until we get ourselves a permanent host for this podcast? It would be my pleasure, and I appreciate the invite. Hallelujah. I'm so glad because when I read your resume and I got your referral and invited you on for, uh, you know, a, a guest spot, I thought it would just be so amazing because the Diversity Do podcast is one of our most popular shows here at ShalettaMakesMeLaugh.com. And I have been interviewing guests and, and talking about, um, you know, diversity and inclusion and belonging issues on this show and people enjoy it, but they really come here to hear from their dude. Their diversity dude, um, somebody who is abreast and educated, understanding and knowledgeable about all things related to diversity and inclusion. And I can't give them that. I'm a comedian. I'm a podcaster. I, you know, I'm a mom. I can tell you all about autism. I can crack some jokes. But, you know, unless it's my lived experience, I don't have the expertise. So I would love for you to do that. And thank you. And, and starting next week. Tom Barnett with the Seminole Group, the CEO, is going to be filling in uh, here on the Diversity Dude. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time not just to be with us today, um, but to fill this void that we have on this show um, after Reg Clark signs off um, and, and to, uh, to give the people what they need, which is education, information right. that right. they can take back, not just into their workplaces, but into their homes and into their community, into their churches, uh, like you said, to make this one America, because that's really what we're striving for, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It is. It is. Thank you. Great topic. And I appreciate it. I appreciate you being able again to bring me to your great platform. Well, I know that uh, our listeners, our viewers, the people who enjoy the show um, are in capable hands with you. Um, the Seminole Group is a wonderful place. Uh, have heard so many good things about the work that you are doing across this country uh, in the areas of diversity, inclusion, and belonging. So, Tom, next week you on your own, child. I'm gonna leave you over here by yourself. <laughs> Thank you for allowing me to have the training wheels on today. But next week I'm free. I'm free. Right. Thank you. I appreciate. It. I got you. All right. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Y'all have a good one. <laughs> all right. And you all, thank you for being here. Uh, we appreciate your time. And next week, don't forget, Tom Barnett with the Seminole Group will be your fill-in host. Tune in each week for how to demand and implement diversity and inclusion at your job. To hear more, check out his previous shows on ShalettaMakesMeLaugh.com. It never fails. Every fall, I fall into a funk. Daylight savings time used to have me singing the blues until I found some help at betterhelp.com. Better H-E-L-P.com. It's an online resource that matches you with your own licensed professional therapist. Listen. Ain't no shame in talking to somebody about how you feel. Your mom and your friends are great to talk to when you have problems. They're your go-to. But sometimes you need a professional. And that's where you need to call BetterHelp.com. 
sometimes it's the only way to get your happy back. BetterHelp.com offers secure online counseling, either over the phone or via video. Now it's not a crisis line, but BetterHelp.com has counselors who'll help you with your anger, stress, depression, or anxiety. The good news is that they're more affordable than traditional in-person counseling sessions. But you know what? If your money is funny, don't worry. BetterHelp.com even offers financial aid. Let BetterHelp.com help you get your happy back. Log on today to BetterHelp.com.